Hello, everybody. Labor Know Your Rights is brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. We are now a proud member of Labor Radio Network. Looking for a radio program or podcasts on the labor movement? This is the network to find it. Simply go to www.laborradionetwork.org. Roosevelt put it into effect regulations on the financial markets after the Great Depression that stabilized the economy from what was called the boomer bust cycle. This cycle came around every decade or so. This stabilization became known as the business cycle which was less severe. Instead of devastating depressions we cycled to recessions instead of the devastating financial collapses. Under the conservative resurgence that started in the 1970s and continued under both political parties, the regulations of Roosevelt's New Deal was gradually unraveled. Financial markets became freer and wilder than ever before, leading to a financial disaster in 2008 that was nearly equal to the Great Depression. No bankers went to jail, but those whose outrage drove them into the streets to protest Wall Street's sleazy deals, thousands were jailed and are beaten. Unions being organized by people have had issues that they handled poorly. One such area was unions were willing to divide by job classifications that employers used, that of skilled to unskilled labor, to the point that union members often looked down on unskilled workers and unions often felt no need to organize the unskilled. The establishing of a tiered system is only one of many divisions in the working class. The division of labor by gender classifications was another that unions often supported. The traditional gender job classifications seen in the home of the era was brought into employment then and now. Unions like all things involving people because they are created by people, ran by people, have had problems in the way they treat some people. Labor divided workers into two groups, skilled and unskilled workers. The skilled workers were first to form unions knowing by standing together they could get employers to pay more. Unfortunately, unions kept this division going as they felt the unskilled workers did not need organizing. Capitalism further divided work by gender. Most work done by women was the same work women tended to do at home and unions did nothing for decades to change this. Religion, ethnicity, race, sexual orientation have also divided workers at one time or another in our history. In the United States, the sharpest divide has been racial. After the Civil War, black workers were systematically excluded from skilled labor and from most unskilled industrial jobs as well. It was not until the 1920s that they gained employment in our mass production industries and not until the 1960s that they made inroads into skilled and professional work. 
1995, union membership was a total of 16,359,600. Of these, men made up 60.7% of the membership, women 39.3%, white 80.4%, African American 15.4%, other 4.2%, Hispanics 8.37%. Discrimination has been inclusive of all heritages as one group of immigrants came in waves. Some was made into laws even as we have seen against the Chinese in the Exclusionary Act. Even left-leaning unions were involved in discrimination. In the 1940s and 1950s, several unions started taking on the issue of racism in labor. Fighting racism not only in the workplace but also in the labor movements. Several unions stand above the others. United Packing House Workers of America, black and white members, came together not just to better their working conditions and wage rates, but also to fight civil rights in the factories and their communities. The Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters was founded in 1925 by black socialist A. Philip Randolph. The Pullman Company employed some 15,000 black porters on its railroad sleeping cars in 1941, Randolph called for a march on D.C. to put pressure on the government to end discrimination at the plants producing for the war effort. Roosevelt issued Executive Order 8802, which prohibited such discrimination and established the Fair Employment Practices Committee. The United Farm Workers, UFW, was founded in the early 1960s out of a merger of unions. Cesar Chavez built the union into a formidable social movement, utilizing nationwide consumer boycotts and strikes. The UFW was able to get the California legislature to pass the California Agricultural Act of 1970, which most private sector employees had enjoyed since the passage of the NLRAA. Although today, participation of women in the labor force is rapidly approaching that of men, the experience of women labor unions are to some degree akin to the experiences of racial minorities. The first difference between racial segregation and gender segregation is that gender segregation has been in wage labor. Women labor has been concentrated in certain industries, some to the point of having no male co-workers, resulting in the male-dominated unions doing little to nothing for these female dominated industries, with a few exceptions in industries where women self-organized. Some progressive unions on the racial question still treated the gender issue as if it did not exist. This only changed after several lawsuits were filed using the 1964 Civil Rights Act against both employers and unions. Unfortunately, with the corporate destruction of unions starting in 1970, these gains were soon lost. Finally, the idea that women were to run the home, take care of the kids, and keep the family together was the ideal in unions, propagated by the male-dominated unions with the family wage campaigns demanding employers to pay a large enough wage so a husband could support the family without the wife working for a wage. During World War II, the female workforce seen 
a huge surge, but afterwards most men and some women felt the need to leave the workforce so the returning men could take the job back, seeing it as his job to start with. The economic boom after the war resulted in the female workforce increase in many work sites. Just as unions were not on the front lines of the black and Latino civil rights struggle, so too was it dragged, often kicking and screaming into the fight for gender equality. Unions have fought for women's rights, but only as more women joined the workforce. Only in the recent history have we seen a real move to match actions by labor with their rhetoric. Another group that suffered at the hands of labor and unions did little to nothing to help for a very long time was the LGBT community because our Civil Rights Act of 1964 provided no protection Many did not come out at work until a group fought back against police harassment in 1969 in what became known as the Great Stonewall Uprising. This brought on caucuses in unions to deal with LGBT workplace issues. It is common for collective bargaining contracts to include LGBT workplace issues, rights in them that offer the same rights others have. Domestic partnerships are recognized for health care, insurance, and in bereavement leave. Many LGBT people have ran for union offices and won. Unions and labor still have a long way to go, but this is a good foundation to build on. Labor ebbs and flows with the capitalist economy, riding high during good times and suffering during recessions. We have seen union density falling for years starting in the mid-1980s, from 35% in 1955 to 23% in 1980. The Reagan years were bad. The density fell to 14.99% in 1996. Private sector density fell to 10.3%, while public sector fell to just 37.7%. Compared to other advanced capitalist economies, the declining density in the U.S. is more than troubling. In Scandinavia, the densities are between 60% and 80%. Great Britain, 40%. Germany, 30%. France, 10%, but have a much stronger position than here. In Canada, the density is 30.4%. You may have noticed that in other episodes, And in this one, I point out failings in unions. When we make mistakes as a movement, union, or in our leadership, it is important to acknowledge them so we can address them and change for the better, so we do not repeat the same mistakes again, and so that those outside the movement see that we are willing to confront our mistakes. I believe unions and the labor movement are necessary and beneficial to its members, but have failed its members and potential members at times, but that overall has and will be a great success in raising up labor. Union and the labor movement has a long way to go, but its success or failure will be based not on its leaders, but on its members. The members can control the leaders. Using the power of the vote, organizing within the organization, speaking up, to direct the leadership in the directions the members want. 
So what are the directions the unions and movement should be headed? That is up to you, the members. I have a short list of suggestions that might help you to decide. Democratic control of production, end of discrimination, wage and income equality, employment as a right, meaningful work, socialization of consumption, and shorter work hours. The next series will be on women and the labor movement. Thank you. Have a good day. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. Thank you for listening.